Welcome to the Citizens Youth Sermon Podcast. We are a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church and a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit nwgospel.com slash citizens. What's going on, Citizens Youth? Sam here, and I'm pumped because tonight I'm dropping a sick album. That's right, you didn't know I was hard. You didn't know I could rap, all right? But I've been collaborating with my boys over in the studio, wherever that is, and I'm excited to release for you my new album. It's called God's Plan. Woo! Bars, all right? I don't have any songs done yet. It's just a concept, but it's coming, all right? No, I'm just kidding. Obviously, I'm not dropping an album, but I am about to drop a message, all right? The title of my message tonight is God's Plan plan though that would be a dope cover album come on right any media guys out there we'll work together all right title of my message tonight is god's plan because we're at a special time of the school year all right this is the end of the year where fifth graders they're ready to jump into middle school you know eighth graders they're done with the childish things of middle school they're ready to jump into high school our graduates they're ready to launch and as everybody's transitioning as everybody's moving we are all thinking about our plans. What's your plan? You go on Facebook, you go on Instagram and the captions, and we'll see a common verse posted up everywhere. Jeremiah 29, 11. God says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans for a hope and a future. And so you see, when I was a senior in high school, as I was graduating, I got that verse sent to me quite a bit. And yes, I appreciated it. Yes, I got it and I was grateful, but I was the kind of kid that I would hear God has a plan for your life. And I was like, what's the plan? (laughs) You know, give me the details. Yes, God has a plan, but I need to know where am I supposed to go to school? Who am I going to marry? What's my career going to be? Where am I going to live? What am I going to have a family? And so I wanted to know what God's plan was for my life. And so tonight, for the next few moments, we're going to continue in our unfinished series. We're going to continue through the book of Philippians. And tonight, you are going to learn God's plan. That's right. You heard it here first. Not only, I should wrap the whole sermon. Can I do that? What what if I literally wrapped the entire message and it rhymed? You guys would all like super hot fire, right? You'd jump through this TV right now. I know, I know. I'm going to keep it easy, all right? So I'm not going to wrap it, but I'm going to tell you, God's plan for your life because we see it in the text. All right. Not the details. I'm not going to show you. It's not a crystal ball here. I'm not going to give you the, the, uh, who you're going to marry and what your job is, but I am going to show you God's plan for your life. I'm going to show you God's overarching vision and direction for your life as a Christian. And when you get God's plan, everything else is a detail. All right. So do you guys want to see God's plan? Me too. Let's check it out. We're going to begin in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The first thing we see here, students, is that God's plan for your life should be your plan for your life. You see, we're always talking about our plans, right? What's your goal? What's your five-year plan? What's your long-term plan? But what's God's plan? Like, 
what are God's goals when it comes to your life? And here in these verses, we get a clue, right? He says, work out your own salvation. Have you experienced salvation? Are you a Christian? Are you saved? Notice how I said that, right? A lot of times when we're sharing our testimony, a lot of times when we're telling our friends that we follow Jesus, we say, oh, I remember when I was saved. And we talk about our salvation in past tense. And that's cool, right? There's a lot of places in the Bible that say, hey, remember the past. Remember when you were saved, past. But there's a lot of places in the Bible, and we find one here, where it talks about our salvation as a current reality. Yes, salvation, you can think of it as past tense, but you can also think of it as something that is happening right now, something that is in progress. You see, students, yes, you were saved, but in another sense, you're being saved. Your salvation is not done yet. Christian, you could say that your salvation is under construction. It is an active uh, work zone, right? It is an active construction zone. But I want you to notice who the chief architect is on, your, on the construction zone, okay? Who is it? It is God who works in you. It is God who is presently working in you right now, actively working and building up and progressing your salvation. He's in you now. And so I want you to imagine with me, right? Imagine we go to heaven. You're like, I don't want to die. Not now. I just, this is a metaphor, okay? Imagine you go to heaven, and I hope you guys know this, like this is 100% truth, that in heaven, God has a whiteboard. All right? Yo, God's got a big whiteboard. It's probably like the state of like New Jersey, just like the whiteboard itself. Who knows? I don't know. But he has a whiteboard in heaven. And I want you to imagine that we can stroll up in there, right? And we're like passing the garage and we're kind of like, I wonder what God drives. You know, it's like 10,000 chariots, obviously, but you're strolling through. This is so blasphemous, right? It's like a, it's like a, a, a heavenly version of Cribs and we're strolling through his mansion and his palace and his throne room and we get into the office and on his whiteboard, this is where he writes all of his master plans, okay? God's divine plans, all of his strategies, his game plans, he writes them on the, right, on the whiteboard. And so if we were to go into heaven and look at the whiteboard, we would see that there's a special mission. There is a special operation that is extremely important to God, okay? There's an operation, and if we look, it's not called Operation Bring Them In, okay? God's plan is not simply to bring you into the family. His plan is not simply to grab you and adopt you and move on. No, no, it's not just Operation Bring Them In. It's called Operation Make Them Holy, okay? I wrote this on the whiteboard. Did you blink? You missed it, okay? God's master plan when he looks at you, young person, young woman, young man, God's plan is to make you holy. God's goal is to bring you from the world and he sets you apart to himself, right? So he grabs you out of the world and he puts you here and he says, you are mine, you are set apart, and then he begins to work in you and teach you how to live out your set-apart purpose. And so this process, student, is still in progress. You could say it's unfinished. woo 
but I'm not a rapper, okay? I'm not a rapper. So I want to get, I'm going to give you another metaphor, right? Another example of how operation make them, make, make them holy works. I want you to imagine, and right behind me outside in the building, there's a massive parking lot. I want you to imagine that God's mission is to cleanse the parking lot from one corner to the other, all right? On his whiteboard, it says, Operation Purify the Parking Lot. And God is passionate about purifying the parking lot. See all the P's in there? That's what a rapper does sometimes when he's trying to catch your attention. Tricks of the trade, okay? And so this is God's passion. He wants to purify the parking lot. This is his divine mission. He wants to make the parking lot sparkling clean. You see, the Lord is so passionate about this project that he has sent his son in order to make it possible. And so you realize that this is what God wants. You realize that God takes pleasure in cleaning the parking lot. And so you walk over to the parking lot and you go, wow, this parking lot is so clean. Who's doing this? And somebody responds, it's God who works in it to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is what God is doing. He's cleaning up the parking lot. But then I want you to imagine that one day you're strolling through the parking lot and you see this. We know what God is doing. We know what that is. But imagine you don't do anything. You see the litter. You see the garbage on the parking lot and you don't even budge to touch it. But then it gets worse. You become so comfortable, you become so used to, to the litter in the parking lot that not only are you not picking up the litter, you now start littering yourself. And so you're sitting there with your boy and you're eating that four for four and you crumble up the, the hamburger packet and you just throw it over your shoulder. And you finish that frosty, right? And you just throw it outside the car. And you can't help but look at that person, right? Because on, on this side, you see how passionate God is about purifying the parking lot. He is working so hard. It is his divine mission to cleanse the lot. And then homeboy's over here throwing trash on it. And you look at him and you can't help but say, are you working for God's plan or against it? Are you working for God's plan? You, you know what God's plan is. You see what he's doing. You see what his mission is. Are you working for his plan or against it? Now, students, I give you that metaphor. I'm hoping you're tracked with me because God is not working to purify a parking lot. Right? God is working to purify your soul. God is working to cleanse you and to transform you from what you used to be and to make you into what he wants you to be. See, God takes this so seriously. God is presently at work in you to accomplish this operation, make them holy. And so, students, this is when you realize this overarching vision. When you realize that this is what God is doing in your life, things start to click. And you realize that every experience, every situation, good or bad, every sermon you've ever heard, every lesson you've ever been given, every leader that loves you, every moment in prayer and in the Bible, God is using all of those things to accomplish operation, make them holy. There are no wasted experiences. There are no wasted global pandemics. There are no wasted conflicts. 
God is using all of those things because he is presently at work in you to make you holy. He is working on the salvation of your soul. And so here's the question, because that's what God is doing in you, because that's God's plan for your life. I'm asking you, are you working for God's plan or against it? Are you working for God's plan, the salvation of your souls, or are you working against it? You see, and I believe, students, that God's plan for your life should be your plan for your life. And that's what Paul is saying here. Paul says, God is working on your salvation, and so you should also work out your own salvation. The very process of salvation and growth and progress in the faith, the very process that God is so passionate about, you should be passionate about it. You should be working on it. And check it out. Don't just work on it on the weekends. He says, I want you to work on it with fear and trembling. Those are big words. And I know I'm being kind of silly tonight, okay? And so hang with me because I don't want you to think that my silliness is counteracting the seriousness of this message. Students, I I thought about saying this, but I didn't want to seem like I'm exaggerating, but I think I really mean it. This may be the most important sermon that I've preached in the last year, right? I'm trying to make it as clear as possible. You need to be working on your own salvation, just like God is, with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling, meaning, right? What, What does fear and trembling mean? It means that we work on this with the utmost seriousness in our lives. We work on this as if it's the most important thing in our life, because it is. It is. We don't work on it with a casualness. We don't approach our faith with a lackadaisical attitude, just like you approach your online homework. I saw an assignment from Union and the teacher spelled out all the homework and then she wrote in parentheses, optional. I don't know about you, and maybe don't tell your parents I said this, but your boy's not doing a homework problem if it says optional. You know what I'm saying? And so that's how we approach math class. That's not how we approach our faith. We don't approach it as if it's optional. We approach it with fear and trembling. We approach our souls as if eternity, as if our eternity hangs in the balance. Because it does. Because it does. And so students, are you working for God's plan or against it? And I want to teach you a trick here, okay? I'm not huge into tips and tricks, but I'm going to give you one today. I'm going to teach you how you can take more seriously the condition of your soul and the progress of your salvation and faith, all right? I'm going to give you a trick, right? Because every Christian I've ever known uses this trick, okay? If it was just one Christian, I wouldn't be telling it to you. But literally every Christian I know who takes the salvation of their souls seriously asks this question, okay? I'm going to give it to you here. I'm going to give it to you. Every Christian I know, they ask this question. What will this do to my soul? Okay? That's what they do. Before they watch a movie, before they pick up a hobby, before they read a book, before they say a word, before they hang out with that person, before they go to that website, before they drive in the... They always are asking this question all day, or a day. They're saying to themselves, what is this doing for my soul? What will this do to my soul? What will this do to my soul? And it's a brilliant question. Number one, because they're taking seriously, they are working with fear and trembling out the salvation of their souls. But number two, it's brilliant because there's only a few answers. 
And I'm going to give you a little illustration here. You can, here's what I'm, I'm going to challenge you to do if this is acceptable in your household. If it's not, draw on a piece of paper. But I'm going to ask you to pick up your pen. So right now, grab your pen and you're going to draw four little dots on your forearm. All right? And they're going to look like this. And you don't, if you just want to stop at the dots, you're welcome to stop at the dots. It'll be a little reminder and it'll wipe off when you bathe in another seven days, right? Because we're all on the COVID schedule. You know what I'm saying? Nobody's bathing every day on COVID. Are you kidding me? You're a lot. No, you don't. Homeboy, I'm showering on Tuesdays, Fridays, and sometimes Sundays, okay? And so it'll, it'll be here for a while, all right? So you got four dots. And here's the answer, ready? What will this do to my soul? Option A, it reverses you. You look at an activity, you look at an action, you look at something and you go, this is going to actively move me in the wrong direction from where the Lord is trying to get me to be. Because I know God's plan. God's plan is operation make them holy and this ain't it. This is reversing me on that progress. Maybe another answer is you look at something and you go, man, it doesn't necessarily move me in the wrong direction, but as I try to move in the right direction, it hinders me. You know, Hebrews, it says lay aside every sin, but also lay aside every weight. There are certain things that hinder you and weigh you down. You can think of it as a hurdle that you have to jump over unnecessarily on your way toward holiness and the progress of your soul. There are some things that are super dangerous and they don't hinder you. They enslave you. They trap you where you are and you cannot move. These are addictive habits and patterns. These are chains that that threaten to replace the Lord of your heart with something else. So these are things that keep us where we are. Be careful if what you're doing will enslave you. Be careful before you pick that up. Be careful before you go there. Be careful when when your voice in your head whispers to you, just one time. Because often it's not one time. It'll enslave you for months and years of your life. But then there's another answer. And the, this is where serious Christians, this is where mature Christians live. There are things that will advance them. There are things that will propel them toward the picture for their life, toward God's plan for their life. And so mature Christians, they ask themselves this question. And if the answer is anything other than this, they say, no, thank you. But everybody's doing, no, thank you. Are you serious? It's 2020. No, thank you. Bro, you're going to be the only one. No, thank you. Sister, you really think you can laugh? No, thank you. No, thank you. Because what will this do to my soul? What will this do to my soul? Because you see, God's plan for my life, that's my plan for my life. Your boy is trying to live holy. Your boy is trying to get to the end of his days and see God's plan come to fruition, which is I'm standing before him holy, blameless, and above reproach. And we'll get there. I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll get there. And so I ask you, I want you to draw those dots and I want you to look and I want you to say, what in my life, what in your life is moving you further from God's plan? You see, the Bible's not meant to just be read, right? I'm not here just to explain to you what it meant. The Bible comes and the Holy Spirit puts the question to us right now. What in your life? Think about it. What in your life? Even things that maybe nobody even knows yet. But if you ask yourself, what is this doing to my soul? You admit it is moving me further from God's plan. God's plan. God's plan. That's what I want. God's plan. What is moving you further 
from God's plan. You see, I'm going to be super honest with you, all right? Because I'm 29 and I can talk up here super passionately, but I wasn't always standing here, you know? I remember what it was like when I was 13 years old, 14 years old, and I was super casual about my sin. I remember what it was like where I looked at my sin and I said, I'll take care of that when I'm older. I got plenty of time to figure that out. I'll figure that out when I graduate high school. I'll figure that out when I'm in college. Like literally, your boy, I was living a life where I would see litter all over the parking lot of my soul. I saw trash. And instead of doing what God was doing, which is purifying that and working toward that, I became comfortable with sin. I became casual with trash. In the name of entertainment, I was doing things that I should not have been doing because they weren't advancing God's plan for my life. You see, I wasn't asking... I'm going to go back real quick. I wasn't asking, what will this do to my soul? I was asking a much worse question. Can I be honest with you? You want to know what question I was asking? Mature Christians were saying, what will this do to my soul? Immature Christian was saying, can I do this and still be a Christian? Do you know how many times I asked my youth pastor that? I was like, hey, PC, can I still be a Christian and listen to that music? Can I, like... Can I still be a Christian and watch those movies? Can I still be a Christian and talk like this? Can I still be a Christian and watch this? Can I still be? It was like I was saying, where's the line and how do I just pass? What's failing and how do I sneak over it? And my youth pastor was like, bro, how about you ask yourself a better question? How about you ask yourself what in your life is moving you further from God's plan? Because God's plan for your life should be your plan for your life. And so fortunately, I had leaders like that who told me that. I had leaders who brought my sin before me and they said, listen, I know this looks alluring, but can I show you something that looks way better? And they would put, me, put it down and they would walk me over and they would show me the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. They would show me how beautiful it is and how satisfying it is to be near to God. How satisfying it is to be in his presence and to know that he accepts me and that he's proud of me and that he loves me and that in my purity, I am near to him. And you see the cheap allure of sin, the fake shine of sin began to fade more and more in the light of Christ. Students, as your pastor, I love you guys so much. I freaking miss you and I love you and I pray for you. And I have prayed through this message that the Lord would open your eyes and that the shiny allure of sin would be seen for what it is. It's trash. And it's littering the parking lot of your soul. And God's plan is operation make them holy. And he is going and he is working to pick those things up out of your life. And I just want you to know that God's plan for your life should be your plan for your life. God's plan for your life should be your plan for your life. I'm going I'm to talk to you that Paul is talking to his people. Do not treat this flippantly. Students, do not neglect the very thing that God is working on. Look what he says. He says, not just when I'm there with you, much more in my absence. I read that and I was like, do we know a little something, something about absence these days? You see, me and, me and your, your, your fellow lead, or my fellow leaders, me and your leaders, your small group leaders, your youth staffers, we're not there with you in person right now, right? 
And it's just different. And so I'm going to tell you what Paul said. You know, we'll be together again. All right. I promise you that. Right. It's almost over. We're close to the end. We'll be together. But until then, much more in my absence, students, please work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Ask yourself the secret question. Ask yourself, are you working for God's plan or against it? Are you working for God's plan or against it? He's at work in you, students. Work it out. Keep working. And so we're going to continue and see what else Paul has to say to his beloved Christians. Let's pick it up in verse 14. He says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. The second point that Paul is telling to his people here, he says, get rid of things that get in the way. We've already talked about the dots, right? Let me see your dots. Hold them up. Ooh, I see you. You put dots on both arms. You're just flexing on the dots. Okay. And so we saw there was things that get in the way. And he makes it clear here. Get rid of things that get in the way. Again, we're reminded of God's plan. What's his plan? He wants you to be blameless. He wants you to be innocent. He wants you to be without blemish. He wants the parking lot of your soul to be spotless. No smudges, untarnished and clean. And so because this is God's plan for you, because this is God's plan for the Philippians, he tells them, get rid of the things that get in the way of that plan. Okay, look what he says. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. He's given them a specific command here. Stop grumbling. In other words, hey, Philippians, quit your complaining. You're doing quite a lot of it. Stop disputing. You know, the Philippians, man, we'll see this in a couple of chapters. In chapter four, lovely people. Sometimes they had bad attitudes and sometimes they were in conflict that should not have been. All right, so we're going we're gonna to get to chapter four and homegirl Yudia and homegirl Syntyche, they are disagreeing in the Lord. And uh, basically, that's the ancient way of saying they're having a nasty Twitter war and they are gaining allies and they're talking. Did you hear what she did? Oh, no, she didn't. What? Sinzaki, you better get over here. And they're just like preparing for war. And Paul's looking at them. He's like, guys, stop that. All right. Your contentiousness. That's what let's call it for what it is. You have a penchant. You have a a um, a predilection. That's a better word for you. You have a, a tendency, okay? All the sixth graders who are tuning in are like, Mommy, I'm scared. He's using big words. Uh, but, you know, there's, there's a tendency in these people to get into some pretty silly conflict. That was their issue. And Paul says, why don't we run it through the spectrum? Ask yourself the secret question. What will this do to my soul? What will my tendency for contentiousness? Basically, I like to fight. Okay, they like to fight. Is that good for their soul? Is that moving them in the wrong direction? Is that hindering them? Is it enslaving them? Or is it advancing them? Obviously, it's not doing this. It's doing all of this. And so Paul tells them, get rid of it. Because you should be getting rid of the things that get in the way. And so what in your life is getting in the way, students? It may not be contentiousness, right? Maybe that's not your issue. Maybe you don't like to, to go head to head and, and you're not super stubborn and, and aggressive. Maybe that's not you, but you got something, I bet. 
What in your life is getting in the way? What is moving you further from God's goal? What is hindering Operation Make Them Holy rather than advancing it? And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to identify it, but then I want you to listen to what I say here, okay? And I wrote this down because I want to get it, I want to nail it right, okay? Think about those things. Are you diligently avoiding things that would dirty and eat away at your soul like a cancer? Are you carefully putting things into your heart and your mind and your eyes and your ears that will cultivate and grow the godliness that God is so eagerly working toward? Are you doing that? Or have you become casual as to the state of your soul? When you're being honest, is there a little bit of apathy in your heart where you go, I don't care. I don't care. That's called apathy. Have you allowed habits or hobbies? Have you allowed pastimes or trash to be littered throughout your life in the name of entertainment? Have you become comfortable with things in your life that bring you further from the picture of holiness that God is working toward? Students, I love you so much. Please seriously consider these questions I'm asking you and consider them with fear and trembling. And the more you ask yourself these questions, the more you work out your salvation with fear and trembling, something happens. The more that you do that, the more it is that you shine as lights in the world. You see, rather than be stained by the world, right, you're gonna be without blemish. Rather than be blemished and stained by the world, you begin to provide a stark contrast to the world. And so we see the contrast here. Look at this. It's like light and darkness. We're growing blameless and innocent, but the world is crooked and twisted. You don't get any farther apart than that. You see, a lot of times we admire the world, right? We fall prey to their marketing and we catch ourselves wanting to be like them. We call them influencers. (sighs) Yes, right? I think that's what Visco girls say. I forget right now all of the, the things, but and I, I don't know. But um, we call them influencers. But God is snapping us back to reality here. He says we are to be as different from the world as light is different from darkness. Just like light shines in the darkness and stands out utterly different, we are to stand out like lights in the world. You see, students, we are the influencers. You, Christian, are the true influencer in the world, but not so that people can admire you and see how cool you are. It's so that people can admire your Father in heaven and see how good He is and how glorious He is. Get rid of the things that get in the way so that you can shine as lights in the world. So again, I've called this Operation Make them holy. We're going to get t-shirts. Our camp shirts are going to say, Operation, make them holy. And you guys will never wear them again. I'm sorry. I won't say that again. But this is Operation, make them holy. And like every operation, it's going to come to an end. Like every operation ever, there will come a point where it's finished. Mission complete. And so in our last verses, I want to end by showing you when this operation will be finished. Check it out holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. 
even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. The final thing that Paul is saying here, as he sits in prison, remember, as he sits in prison, writing this letter to the Philippians, he's basically saying, tomorrow's hope makes today's effort worth it. Tomorrow's hope makes today's effort worth it. Christian, do you know what's coming tomorrow? I don't mean like literally in 24 hours. I mean like, do you know what's next for you as a Christian? (laughs) Like in the grand scheme of things, do you know what's coming? I can get emotional here thinking about this because maybe some of you are baby Christians and maybe you're new to the faith and maybe you've actually not even been taught this yet. But do you know what's coming? No, not summer break. No, not Christmas. Stop guessing, I will tell you. Here's what's coming. It's called the Day of Christ. Students, there is a day coming where Jesus is coming back. And when Jesus comes back, don't call it a comeback. When Jesus comes back, I have to make as many rap references as possible because I said I was writing an album. But listen, when Jesus comes back, it is going to be game over for this era. Okay? He's making a new heaven. He's going to be making a new earth. You see, the first time, he came as a baby. But the second time, he's coming in all of his glory to once and for all take his bride, you and me, the church, to be with him forever. It's going to be tight. It's going to be everything. (laughs) That's what's coming tomorrow. That is what we are looking forward to. And then here's Paul's hope. Paul's hope is that on the day that Jesus Christ returns, on the day that he busts onto the scene to take his people, Paul says, I'm praying that on that day, I will see that you are still holding fast. This is the picture. It is my hope that on that day, I will see that you never gave up. On that day, I will see you still clinging to Jesus. And on that day, I will know that all of my running, that all of my labor was not in vain. I will know that all of my ministry, that all of my tears, that all of my beatings and my imprisonments, all of my lessons and my sermons and my letters, all of it was worth it. Because you're still standing. It was worth it. Because Operation Make Them Holy, it worked. And you are standing before Jesus, finally perfected and glorified. And you are holy, blameless, and above reproach before the one who died to make it possible. What a picture. What a picture. Talk about God's plan, right? Paul has this picture in his mind, and he's in prison, and I just picture him like, You know, other people are writing tally marks on the wall that are like 450 days until I'm free, 449 days until I'm free, 400 and, dang it, I messed up, start back at a thousand. You know, and like, they're daydreaming about when they can get free. And Paul's here daydreaming about the day that he's going to see his students, his children in the faith standing before Jesus, and they're still standing. You see, students, I love Paul's picture here because it's my picture as well. Like, that's why I do what I do. This is one of my life uh, uh, concepts, one of my overarching convictions for life. Paul says it this way. He says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering 
Meaning, even if I don't make it out of prison, even if my life is going to be required of me right now in this cell, worth, worth it. And what's more, I'm gonna be glad and rejoice. And you should be glad and rejoice with me too, because it's worth it. Because the enduring faith of my people, because the steadfast holiness, because of the salvation of God's people, it's worth it. Students, this is the picture that drives me and every youth leader that you know. Youth leader, can I talk to you for a moment? I know we're, we're talking to students. I know why. We, we all know why we're here. But I want to talk to you for a minute. First of all, I love you guys. Youth staffers, thank you for helping us create a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. For those of you who are watching right now in a, in a watch party or, or on Facebook or, or a Zoom group, like, thank you, seriously. It's hard. We don't always get to see the, the fruit of our labor. But here's what I want to call you to. I want you to remember our hope. And so here's my word to you, youth staffer. One day, you will see your beloved students and children standing before Jesus. And on that day, you will know that every lesson, every hard conversation, every camp, every late night phone call, every crisis, every tear shed, and every prayer uttered, every moment of your ministry on earth, on that day, you will know it was not in vain. Even in the most difficult parts of ministry, even in the toughest seasons of, of citizens' youth, youth staffer, please let us be glad and rejoice in our toil because their enduring faith and holiness on that day is worth it all. And youth staff, I'm going to be honest with you, there is no group that I'd rather be fighting for that mission with than being alongside you guys. Let's hold fast to that. And so I want to wrap it up like this, talking to youth staff and students. Students, welcome back. Adult time's over. Adult swim is over. Mommy and daddy were having a big conversation, okay? Tomorrow's hope makes today's effort worth it. Remember that. But here's how I want to end it, okay? Let's review. What was God's plan? Operation Make Them Holy. God's plan for your life. You're like, but I want to know who I'm going to marry. I want to know who, where I'm going to live. I want to know what job to get. Tell you what, if you focus on God's plan, you can do whatever you want in those other areas. Literally, like if you're focused on Operation Make Them Holy, marry whoever you want. You're like, her? Yeah, <laughs> right? If she's on the same mission and you're on the same mission, boom! Talk to your families, right? And they'll help you figure out personality stuff and all that. But my point is God's plan is bigger than the details for you. It includes it, but it's way bigger. God's plan is an overarching vision for your life to set you apart and make you holy and to purify you. And so my questions for you, I have two questions. Number one is, do you want that? I talked about apathy earlier. You gotta be honest with yourselves. Do you want that? If not, I want you to pray about that because we've all been there and many of us are there right now where you hear what I'm saying, you're like, all right, Sam, I get it, I can see that. But like, to be honest, I just don't care about the condition of my soul. Sam, to be honest, I see all the trash around my feet, but I'm numb. Sam, I see all the things that are enslaving me. I see my addictive patterns and habits and tendencies and I see my post and I see my speech and I see my thought pattern and I just don't care. You can tell the Lord. You can come to your heavenly father and you can say, God, I don't want to be godly right now, but would you help me want that? 
You can say, God, would you show me the surpassing worth of Jesus and show me the ugliness of the cheap counterfeits that I so often look to. Students, pray that prayer, please, if you are struggling with apathy right now. If you don't care, tell him and ask him for help. Because that's his plan and his plan should be your plan. But if you don't want it, tell him. And the second question I'm going to ask you is this. What in your life is hindering that? Maybe you do want it. Maybe you want it more than anything else. Maybe right now, even as I preach, there's a fire burning in your belly and the Holy Spirit is imprinting this message on your heart and you're crying out from your spirit, man, God, please, I want to be holy. So does God. God wants you to be holy. But you need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And that means asking yourself, what in your life is hindering that? Student, I'm going to tell you right now, it's hard. Christianity is not for wimps, you know? It's hard. But God has given you His Holy Spirit to help you do that. And there are things right now that you're looking at and you go, there's, there's no way I can live without that. There's no way I can live without that. I can't even imagine. It's just too hard. I promise you this, and this is what Jesus says to the apostles. Whatever, wh- whoever gives away this will not fail to receive many times more that from God. All right? There are people who are like, Jesus, like you're calling us to like leave our families and our career. Like we're giving up all of our other pursuits to pursue you. And he says, it feels like you're sacrificing right now, but you're not sacrificing, you're investing. You're losing this so that you can open up your hands and receive all that God has for you. And I know it's hard because you don't know what the future holds. You can't imagine a situation in life where you don't feel the way that you do now. And that's why we're here. That's why you have leaders in your life who are a little bit further along, just a little bit. We're just a little further along the road than you and we've been where you've been. And many times we're still where where you are because we just continue to learn those same lessons. And so I'm asking you, what in your life is hindering that? and then cut it out, cut it out. Jesus says, better to go into heaven with only one hand than to go into hell with two. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Talk about not being able to live without it. You're like, God, I wanna go to heaven, but I need my hand. He's like, do you? (laughs) What? God, I wanna live for you, but I need both my eyes. I mean, you got two. If it's causing you to sin, like nothing is so vital that you should keep it in your life if it's keeping you from living for Jesus. I mean, Sam, everybody's got a TikTok. I mean, I just got to figure... No, they don't! I don't have a TikTok, (laughs) okay? You're like, that's not saying much. Yes, it is. I'm cool. I wrote a rap album. Come on, okay? You don't need it. If it's causing you to sin, cut it out. I mean, Sam, I mean, everybody has Instagram. It's perfect. If Instagram is causing you to sin, cut it out. Sam, I mean, everybody's got a girlfriend. If your boyfriend and girlfriend is causing you to sin, cut it out. If the books that you're reading are causing you to sin, cut it out. If hanging out with that person is causing you to sin, cut it out. If driving there is causing you to sin, cut it out. Because God's plan should be your plan. And His plan is beautiful. And His plan is satisfying. And you will get to the other side of that as if passing through flames. And you will go, wow, this is better. Jesus is better. So in other words, students, ask yourself the main question, are you working for God's plan or against it? I love you guys. We're going to go into our breakout groups. We're going to pray. We're going to respond. We're going to talk about this. And we're going to continue to allow the Lord to change us by leaning in and engaging in his word. I love you guys.